Now, last week was designed to get us in touch with some grief and to really use mindfulness to get in touch with the present moment experience of the intensity of everything that was going on with the protests and uh, the call to support Black Lives Matter and this general idea of engaging Dharma, the way it sort of came out uh, somewhat intentionally, but also just the way it unfolded was just to really get in touch with the grief and use mindfulness to be able to do do such a thing as a benefit um, as we are Dharma practitioners and trying to use our practice for these times because these are the times that we find ourselves in. So similar to last week, if any of this stuff, if it's still tender for you or uncomfortable, f- please take care of yourself uh, for these kinds of discussions and Dharma talks. Feel free to take a break. Turn off your camera if you just need some space, so to speak. <laughs> but yeah, feel free to, to take care of yourself. I encourage you for these kind of conversations and this kind of Dharma stuff to do so. But today will not be intended to be as intense. Last week, I really wanted to bring that into the room. Um, I will not be doing so as much today. But I am going to be talking about engaged Dharma and what that might mean for you and some frameworks to get you started in this conversation. Because it's a pretty expansive, intensive, important conversation Certainly can't be had in a single session, but I'd like to give some perspective, and I, I want to be patient with the perspective because I think it's important. One of the one of the great things about the Dharma is that it slows the mind down. It slows down our experience so we can really see what's going on and really relate deeply to the material or whatever the moment is. So in this case, I really want to honor the gift of the Dharma by, by sort of taking it slow, to take the topic slow and... and use a couple weeks if need be to kind of give us some frameworks uh, for understanding what does it actually mean to have an engaged Dharma? What part of the path is this exactly? And how might we go about it skillfully? And how can we use the Dharma to participate in these kinds of things uh, in a way that enlivens our hearts and, and serves others? Because that's really what this means. So I'm going to take it slow and just kind of see where we end tonight. And uh, we'll finish up next week. Or maybe even the week after, you know how this goes. I'll say it's a two-part Dharma talk, and then six weeks later, I'm still talking. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But today, it's going to be about engaged Dharma and coming up with some perspectives around that. So first and foremost, what is this concept of engaged Dharma? I wanted to really bring this out because this word has many meanings for different people, and you'll hear it in Buddhist communities. You'll hear it outside Buddhist communities, actually, as well. And sometimes this word engaged Dharma Sometimes it just refers to Buddhists or meditators who are taking part in social activism or social justice movements and supporting different organizations in that way. So engaged Dharma could just mean like a Buddhist activist. Sometimes that's that's sometimes what it means for some people. It's just, oh, I'm engaged Dharma, so I'm a Buddhist or I practice yoga, but I'm also involved in Black Lives Matter or the climate change movement or different things like that. So engaged Dharma might just be a Buddhist activist. It could just refer to that. I wanted to bring us back home to the Dharma itself and how engaged Dharma, this concept of engaged Dharma, is built into our practice. So when you think about the Eightfold Path, which is the container for everything that we do in the Dharma, the Eightfold Path, one-third of the Eightfold Path is actually directed outwards towards how we engage with other people. So we have wise action, wise speech, and wise livelihood. So that's a third, essentially, of the Eightfold Path, all of which are directed towards how we manifest our practice in everyday life with other people, how we bring ourselves, how we show up in the world awake and aware with wisdom and compassion. So we have these 
action-oriented steps in the Dharma built into the basic, the basic model. So it's important to remember that because um, we can't share the merits of our practice. You know how often in our loving-kindness practice we say, you know, may all beings be happy. All beings can't share in the merits of our practice if our practice is contained in our house. We've got to step out into the world and bring the merits so they can be shared. So it is a part of the practice that we share our experiences and we share our awakening and our heart out in our relationships with our friends, our families, and the way we show up in our work. Um, and with strangers, of course, um, without with all beings. So it's a part of the path. This is not something that's sort of tacked on later. It is essentially a part of the path that we share our merits with others and that we bring our love, our kindness, and our wisdom, we bring it to serve. We bring it to serve other folks who are suffering. So this is essentially a part of the Dharma, and it's a third of it. So it's a significant part, and we can't overlook it. It's just, it's a part of what it is. I also wanted to point out, I'm going to read this quote. This quote is from the Satipatthana Sutta, which you know I'm a big fan of, which is the description of Vipassana practice and teaches us how to meditate, essentially. But I just wanted to bring this quote into the room. Um to show us that from the very beginning, the Buddha's instructions includes the inner world and the outer world. So meditation, it can be easy as we're meditators to think the journey is just within. And it certainly is a big part of it, is this inward journey. Uh, but from the very beginning of the Buddha's instructions, he reminds us that the inward journey is the outward journey, and the outward journey is the inward journey, and that they are both interconnected, and you can't really do one without the other. So this is the quote. Um, this is about the first foundation of mindfulness, which is being mindful of the body. And this is one of the Buddha's instructions. And he says, In this way, in regards to the body, they abide contemplating the body internally, or they abide contemplating the body externally, or they abide contemplating the body both internally and externally. Internally, externally. And the Buddha goes through each foundation of mindfulness and says we have to contemplate this stuff inside, outside, outside, inside. So it's important to remember that our practice is inherently engaged. We engage with ourself and we change our relationship with our own heart and mind. And then we also engage with the world and we change our relationship to the world in a more kind, compassionate, and awakened, awakened way. So it's important to know it's built into the practice. Oftentimes when we come across this word engaged dharma, we think it's dharma part two. Like first we do our practice and then we go engage. But in fact, there really isn't any in dharma that's not engaged dharma. It is a part of the whole spiritual practice. Um, so it's just one of those things to keep in mind as we move forward that this isn't something new. This is certainly very much a part of what it is to be uh, in the dharma, is to be engaged as some part of the practice. Now, another way people have experienced this word, um, as far as the Dharma is concerned, might be in somewhat of a negative or aversive way, because sometimes you'll hear this term used somewhat condescendingly in the sense that my Dharma is more engaged than your Dharma, or I'm interested in engaged Dharma, but you're just interested in meditating and going on retreats. So sometimes you'll see in spiritual communities this kind of yeah, poking back and forth on who's more engaged in their practice. Um, and it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. I hear, I hear this quite a bit. But so sometimes you may have experienced someone sort of asking you or confronting you about how are you engaged and what kind of dharma are you into? Is it engaged dharma uh, or not engaged dharma? 
So I just wanted to throw that out there uh, and and remind us that if it's really the Dharma, it is it has to be engaged to be the Dharma. You can't have the Dharma without the engagement because it is inherently part of what we do. I want to clarify one other aspect of this based on how we used engage, the word engage Dharma as an evaluative phrase. Just because I'm meditating doesn't necessarily mean I'm engaged in the Dharma itself. It doesn't mean I'm a Dharma practitioner. Just because I am at a protest doesn't mean I'm engaging in spiritual practice. Like the Dharma is a holistic map. So you can do both, but the Dharma combines engagement with the inner journey. And, and what I really um, attempting to mean by that is that just because we're involved in a social justice activity, there's all kinds of folks of all religious traditions and non-religious traditions that can be involved in social justice and all kinds of people who are meditators that are not involved in social justice. So there's these two type of activities or domains of experience that are really interwoven in the Dharma. And I might be a meditator, but I might just be using meditation for stress release and I have no other spiritual aspirations. So doing anything outside of that, of sharing merits or of service to others may not come into play at all. So I just wanted to sort of put that, put that out there, that perspective. So what I like to do is offer a, a framework for considering how we might reflect on what it means for us by meaning you. So every one of us as an individual and as a spiritual community, but as an individual, what might it mean for you, for your practice to be engaged? Because for each of us, that's going to mean something slightly different. We're all going to approach this in a different way. And so we have to really take this part of the Dharma as part of the spiritual journey. How will I share my merits with the world? Right? What steps will I take to share my merits? And how does that work? Um, oh, Had, I see you have your hand up, Had. I will get to you in just a second. So that's where I want to start with this idea that Trying to decide where you would share merits is a part of your own spiritual journey. That's part of the inward journey is deciding, okay, how am I going to take my compassion and and show up in the world? And, and where is that going to show up and how am I going to do it? For myself, as many of you know, I'm a social worker and I was a meditator before I got into social work and had chosen that career. So when I made my choice to be a social worker, I had made an intentional decision that I wanted to do something with my employment that would be... 100% in, in line with and in support of the Dharma because I wanted my life to have that integration. So it was a very conscious and intentional choice where I had asked myself, okay, what am I going to do? I was, I've been meditating since I was in my early 20s. So I had time to become a meditator and get in the Dharma and then make a decision like a, where I wanted my career to go. So there was this intentional decision that I wanted that to be an expression of Dharma. So I landed in social work and clinical mental health and social justice stuff because that's how my life unfolded. And so there was an intentional uh, process that I went through of making, making that decision. Each of you will have to make your own decision on how the Dharma expresses itself. What is the avenue that you have? Now, in this moment, we are being called to participate, support, and give voice to the Black Lives Matter movement. Wonderful opportunity to get this part of your practice in the game, right? This is a wonderful opportunity to find out how you might be able to support and explore and experience what's going on. Uh, but in the end, it's still going to be your journey. It's still going to be an inward process to figure out what that's going to mean for you and how that might express itself in the world. I think it can be really helpful 
when we talk about engaged dharma, to think of it in this way as a framework. Engaged dharma means that we allow our dharma practice. So everything, so Wednesday wake up's been going on for six months. So we've had a lot of time together. We've done a lot of work. You guys have been practicing long before you met me. Engaging Dharma means that we allow the practice, all of this practice that we've been doing, to actually inform how we think, how we feel, and how we act when we engage in the service of others. So it's really important to understand that you don't have the Dharma and then you just happen to go do something else that's giving to others. But when you are, in fact, giving to others, you use the Dharma to influence and support your actions. So your Dharma assists you with how you actually engage mentally, emotionally, physically, in body, in mind, in heart, in that the, the Dharma serves the action and supports the action and is imbued in the action. So, for example, current times, if you were to go to a protest or take part in Black Lives Matter, the participation itself, yes, that's engaged. But what really makes it the engaged Dharma is that you allow the Dharma to flow through you in that moment when you are with the other people. That kindness, compassion, a commitment to freedom for others, that's there in the activity of the engagement. So it's really important to understand that we're using this as like an inner fountain of inspiration and support, wisdom and joy. And we're taking that energy and we're allowing it to be with us when we're actually engaging so that the Dharma is present in our decision making, in the way we talk to people, the way we hold space with other people, um, the way we honor other people's grief and their pain, all of that being supported by the Dharma. That's engaged Dharma, that we really have it alive and well in the present moment. And we have a lot of tools in the Dharma that we can use to bring into these kind of situations, right? We have the ability, all of these skills, all of this wisdom that we have in mindfulness, we have our ethics, we have all kinds of different things. We have the Four Noble Truths and the Seven Enlightenment Factors. All of these things can be directed outward. Oftentimes we're, we're directing them inward and we're experiencing them inward, but the wisdom can certainly be directed outward to support an activity or an interaction with another person. Anytime we bring mindfulness, right? Equanimity, which is the source of a balanced mind, a patient mind. When we have investigation, right? Which is a curious mind. When you bring any of those enlightenment factors into some type of engagement with like say social justice, right? So we can use Black Lives Matter since that's what's in uh, the present moment. When we take a mind or heart that has those skills, we are more effective, right? We're more effective. We end up being more kind, more courteous, more supportive. So we can use the Dharma to make us more effective if we choose to participate in social justice activities. So relying on things like the wisdom of the Four Noble Truths and the presence of mindfulness can allow us to, when we are in those situations, to be better effective at being an ally for other people, better effective at hearing other people's grief, other people's trauma, other people's rage. Last week, I talked about how we could really use mindfulness during these times to listen deeply and to connect to the suffering of others, because that's what we're being asked to do. We're being asked to listen, to listen deeply to some serious pain that we have not been aware of 
or we've been aware of, but we haven't heard it. We haven't really been able to listen or to see it clearly. And so as a Dharma practitioner, that's a gift. We can listen more deeply. We can be more mindful. We can bring some patience and equanimity to these moments. And in doing that, we become a better ally to those who are suffering. So the Dharma itself is a great way of bringing energy into allyship with those who are suffering because a calm mind, a clear mind, a discerning mind, and an open mind much better in the heat of social change than one that is filled with greed, hatred, delusion, and things of that nature, craving, right? We get out of ourselves and can connect with others. And in doing that, we become a real solid support system. So the Dharma at its base really has some tools that we've all been practicing that we can use to engage actively. And over the next couple of weeks, I'll be very specific. I just want to give an overview of this kind of attitude. I want to invite us to uh, take on as a framework to approach these kind of conversations. So elevating your activism and engagement with the world through the Dharma is what the gift is from being a practitioner in times like these. We saw this again, kind of going back to the pandemic, right? Pandemic happened, all kinds of suffering, not only in the physical part, but when people became trapped inside, so to speak, and couldn't go out, those who were doing social isolation or all of a sudden at home with kids or those who had to go out and actually work, suddenly there was this whole layer of suffering. And I noticed in this group, when we came together and did our meditations, our meditations really allowed us to process a lot of the grief, a lot of the fear, a lot of the anxiety. So in real time, we were using our, our Dharma to be engaged and suddenly the gift of what it was was really clear that we were all very lucky and privileged to be able to come together and meditate week to week and deal with some of this stress. In the same way, we can use these gifts to help others. We can use these gifts to support other people as well. And our awakened mind, our awakened hearts, our balanced mind and patient hearts are very needed. So we can offer that privilege and that gift to others by standing up, listening deeply and participating. One way that I think we can really help ourselves to understand what's going on in the world right now um, is by reminding ourselves the celebration and honoring, celebration's a strong word, honoring is the more appropriate word, what in the Dharma we call beginner's mind or the wisdom of not knowing. In the Dharma, we often say, let us start with a beginner's mind. Let us fall back into the present moment as if it were the very first time we are experiencing these sensations, these thoughts, these feelings, this mood. And we approach the world with this idea of, let us see what this is, right? We come and approach the world with a humbleness, a curiosity, an authenticity, and a sense of, I don't have an answer here. I don't know what's going on. Let me see. Let me take a look. And this idea of beginner's mind or the wisdom of not knowing, I think it'd be really helpful in framing this concept of engaged Dharma. In the Dharma, if you ever, we haven't really talked about this, but so we have our wheel of dependent co-arising, which I won't go into the details, but it's this model about the cause of suffering and the nature of suffering. And the very top of this wheel is ignorance. Ignorance in the chain of suffering is considered the first link ignorance, right? If there's suffering, then there's a not knowing. There's like something is amiss. I don't know what's going on here. There's always a not knowing part 
of the suffering, right? So ignorance is brought into the path as something that we honor inside of ourselves. This sense of, you know, sometimes I just don't know what's going on. Sometimes I hurt people and I don't know it. Sometimes I hurt myself and I don't know it. Sometimes I just don't know. And human beings come to our experiences always with blind spots, right? And the Buddha wanted us to acknowledge we don't come in awakened. We don't come in knowing everything. We don't come in knowing how to do everything or how to be. The path of awakening is a journey of discovery and dispelling of the ignorance, which is then replaced by the wisdom and the compassion and the love. So this, this is a start for any new journey and the journey of awakening itself is to understand that we come in ignorant. We just don't know everything. And I always like to remind us that human beings come into the world so vulnerable, right? We come in very soft and squishy. Like we come in and we're born into the world and we cannot take care of ourselves, right? We can't feed ourselves. We can't communicate very well. Um, you know, let's get real here. It's like we're pooping all over ourselves. Like we're not, we can't walk. We can't talk. We don't come in set to go, right? And, and we come in with a long road ahead of us of human development just to become an adult, let alone become mature, let alone become kind or compassionate or aware. So this ignorance at the, at the beginning of the path is in, it's intended to honor the struggle of what it is to be human and to remind ourselves that it's tough. We don't have all the answers. Sometimes we just don't know and we make mistakes. And not only is suffering a natural consequence of that ignorance, but we have to remember that the ignorance itself is also a natural part of the human experience. We just don't know it all. And we come in very ignorant and very naive, not knowing which way is up. And we have to learn and we have to grow. This idea of ignorance, what it does, if we can get in touch with it in ourselves, right? If we can get in touch with that not knowing and get to be okay with the not knowing, we become much more empathetic much more patient and much more compassionate to all beings because we begin to give people the benefit of the doubt. We begin to give people the time of day. We begin to judge people less because we realize most of the time people are doing their best. Even when they're hurting or hurting others, people can learn to not hurt, right? We can grow, we can change, we can wake up and overcome things that we've done to ourselves and others that are painful and rude and traumatizing. Human beings, because we start off ignorance, have this incredible potential to grow out of the ignorance. We have an ability to learn and to change, create new behavior patterns, right? Our hearts can expand. Our intelligence can increase. Our social connectedness can deepen. We can have trauma and then get over the trauma, right? We can have trauma get over the trauma, and then even help others through trauma. So human beings come in ignorant. We come in not knowing. And the beginner's mind is this invitation to begin there inside yourself and to remember we're growing, we're changing, and we don't know everything. And the reason I mention that particularly right now, two, twofold. If you look at what's being asked in the Black Lives Matter movement, it's listening to what we are unaware of as white folks. For those in the room who are white, I am white. Um, that listening, right? Listening for 
the ignorance. Because what we're being told is, hey, there's a blind spot here and your blind spot is hurting me. Will you please take a look, right? Like there's this blind spot in culture, in society that is embedded in the entire systems of our social structure and it's hurting me. Can you please, please, please take a look because now people are dying because of that ignorance. And so what I'm asking us to do as Dharma practitioners is say, hey, right, I can I can step into this with an open heart and say, I'm willing to look at my ignorance. This is part of the path. I, I know I don't know everything. Help me understand my blind spot. Help me understand how I might be able to help you. Help me understand how I can be more loving and more compassionate. Ignorance and befriending ignorance is part of the path. If we feel we have to know everything, right? If we get insecure about not knowing, it leads to a lot of self-deprecation and self-hatred. And then when someone invites us to look at our ignorance, we can start to get kind of nervous and afraid, right? We can feel shamed. We can feel judged. The Dharma really allows us this kind of foothold where we can step into a situation and say, you know what? Teach me. I don't know. My suffering starts with ignorance and my ignorance may be contributing to your suffering. And I am on this path to dispel my ignorance. So I am willing to learn and to grow and to change. So this idea of ignorance is a call to be humble, right? To be able to listen, to understand that we can grow and change. And in the outward expression of this, it allows us to ask others, hey, is there some ignorance here that's hurting you? Let me know. I would like to become awake and aware to this so I can transcend it, right? So I can be an ally instead of someone who is injuring. So these ideas in the Dharma, that's just one example of how we've got these ideas in the Dharma that can really help us out with growing, changing, and supporting others during this time. We really do have some significant tools and some frameworks that can be very skillful. So this idea of ignorance, we walk into this world with this ignorance, with this intention of wisdom and compassion being on the other side. Another aspect of this ignorance, and maybe maybe I'm just making a clarifying statement here, but another aspect or dimension of this is that because we come into this world with ignorance, it means that a good portion of our life is spent learning and growing. We, we spend learning, right? Because learning's tough. Learning is not easy. Learning a new skill, learning a new habit, doesn't happen overnight. It's tough. It's tough to learn stuff, right? It's tough to learn to walk, right? It's like we've, we've learned a bunch of stuff and learning takes time, energy, effort, intention, sometimes courage, persistence, patience. So all of these qualities that can come out of this process of learning. But remembering that we've got a lot to learn, right? That's the path of the Dharma as we can learn. We're on this path of awakening, which is essentially saying I'm on a path of learning. What learning can I do next to decrease my suffering and decrease the suffering of others? So learning is another way of looking at engaged Dharma. Engaged Dharma is a process and a more outwardly directed process of us learning to decrease our suffering and be an ally to decrease the suffering of others. It's still that internal external process of learning. Awakening is learning. That is what that is. Another aspect of this that I think can be helpful in regards to patience. I know many of us have experienced uh, an overwhelm lately, not only from the weeks and weeks of pandemic, but um, everything else that's been going on, the sense of overwhelm, very stimulated. 
Many of us have seen the images on the news. Many of us have seen the protests or been to the protests. And there has just been this sense of, oh my gosh, there's so much suffering and so much trauma. What can I do? What should I do? And a sense of urgency, almost panic, that I can't move fast enough. I don't know how to be sincere enough. I don't know how to do something significant enough. How do I? And there's this kind of like panic or treading water emotionally that happens. I give you an example just experientially. So last night I had watched the video. Some of you have probably already seen it, but I hadn't seen it before because I purposely didn't watch it. And so I watched the video of the police officers pushing down the older guy who fell and hit his head and then pushing down somebody else who had a cane. And I guess I just wasn't prepared for the impact, but it just brought me to tears like immediately. It was like this, like, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. There was this incredible, sharp, immediate pain of of feeling helpless and hopeless and wanting to reach out and like, oh my gosh, I need to do something. What can I do? What should I be doing? So there was this panic and this agitation and energy and I could really feel it in the body and emotionally. We can use mindfulness to be present with those sensations because if we don't use mindfulness, it can be an overwhelm and then we get paralyzed and we can't act because we don't have the ability to slow it all down and to be present with it and get in touch with it. And this is sort of coming from what I was saying last week. Using mindfulness, we can help our educational process, our awakening in this matter to serve others by being with the sensations. Because right now, so much is being asked, right? How do we participate? How do we participate? How do I help you? Being mindful, right? And coming back to this idea of, I don't know how to help. Okay, I'm ignorant. I don't know how to help. I want to help. There's the ignorance. I'm going to start by being mindful of like, I don't know. I'm being mindful of my intention to do good. I really want to be compassionate and I want to be effective and sincere and really be an ally. So there's that sense of um, loving kindness, right? Here's my intention to be good and to be caring, right? But I'm also aware that there's this ignorance, like I just don't really know what the answer is. There's mindfulness and then we bring loving kindness into the mix, right? And then we remember that there's wise action, which is an intentional action to do good. Now, if I'm able to bring mindfulness to that overwhelm, the mind will begin to calm down and it will be much easier to make a clear decision on what you might do. You might post something online, grab a book. I talked to someone the other day. They were very excited. They just got this new book that's the Me and White Supremacy book and they had started reading it and two days in it was just became really profound for them and really transformative. That was their action. But even taking that step to get the book, there was this overwhelm of ignorance and fear and fright. Like, oh my gosh, what, what should I be doing? But they were able to get focused and get clear and say, I've made a decision to participate in this way. Again, what I'm trying to throw out here is these different ways that we can use meditation and mindfulness tools to participate and to manage who we are so we can bring the best of ourselves to the present moment in these times because there's no right answer. There's just a bucket of tools that we have that we need to begin to experiment with to see how we can transform that inner journey of practice to the outer journey of engaged Dharma. And so those things I want you to keep in mind as we move through the next few weeks and in, in regards to engaged Dharma itself. One, the ignorance. We come in not knowing. It's okay to not know. Bring mindfulness to that not knowing because doing that is the first step to being able to be at a point where you can then act. 
Be aware of the fear, the frustration, the confusion. Bring some loving kindness to yourself in those moments because again, awakening is learning. Learning is tough. And we're all in the midst of learning something new right now. These are ways we can use the Dharma to ease this process. And it's a gift to ourselves because we've spent so much time meditating, so much time in spiritual community. You all come here every week and that's a lot of effort and time. And now you have the gift of that transformation and those skills. And so we apply them, right? We bring bring these to the present moment and we see what we can do. And that ignorance is something that we're going to honor. Another way that this idea of learning can be flipped sort of on its head and directed outwards goes something like this. I brought this up last week, so for those of you who weren't here, I'll just sort of give a, a review of this, this idea. But what the idea was is that right now, when we see these protests and we see all the, the uprising and the energy, it's easy to start evaluating it before we listen to it. Right? You'll see people online saying, well, can't the protest be more peaceful or can't they do it in a different way or why does it have to be, does there have to be the looting, does there have to be this, does there have to be that? A protest is a demonstration of this incredible amount of anger and grief and demand that something must change, right? Everyone at the protest collectively is trying to figure out how to express this need to make the change, right? It's a process of learning. The protest itself is a learning process. The protest itself is the awakening. And learning is tough. It's not always pretty. It's not always clean. It's not always easy, right? And sometimes it's dangerous and there's violence. And we don't really get to choose how that awakening unfolds. And so it's really important as Dharma practitioners that we can say, okay, there's an unknowing here, right? 10,000 people march on Washington. There's an unknowing in those 10. We know what the end goal is, right? Stopping the killing and the murder and the racism and the institutional oppression. How we get there? Oh my gosh, you're talking about a huge systemic problem that's global, that's embedded in economics and politics and social systems. But we just keep awakening. We just keep learning. We just keep going in with the understanding we don't know what the right way is. We're doing the best we can. So it allows us to be forgiving and patient and kind with what we're seeing. Because there is a lot of grief and a lot of sorrow and a lot of anger here. And as meditators, the gift that we can give first and foremost is to say, I don't know what the best way to do this is. I'm here for you, I don't know. Fall back into that humbleness. Look, we're trying to make a statement. Social change's gotta happen and it's gotta happen now. People are getting hurt. I don't know what the best way is, I just don't. That humbleness and that ignorance and that attentiveness is a great way of being an ally to those who are literally on the front lines of trying to make this change happen. And it's really easy to be able to look at it and wish it were a certain way or presume that we know better or, you know, if we just did this, then the protests would look like that. We don't know. Thousands of human beings. This is an uprising of, of incredible proportion. Uh, so much sorrow, so much grief, so much anger, so much history. There's a better way, really? I don't know, personally. I don't know. So I bring the humbleness of my practice and this, this honoring that beginner's mind. I don't know how to fix this, participate in it, change it. What I do know is I want to be a loving, kind, 
intentional person and I want to be of service. And so I'm going to be in this process with everybody else and I'm going to try and figure it out. But I'm going to approach it with a humbleness, a sense that I am ignorant. I do not know. And I'm going to do that long before I put out any advice or suggestions or any answers to anything. I'm going to start with the deep listening, the deep feeling of the heart, the deep intention to connect, and the humbleness and acknowledgement of I don't know everything and I got a lot to learn. I got a lot to learn. And to me, that's how the Dharma awakens in me in this type of situation, where I can fall back on this beginner's mind. Um, and it allows me to be patient, right? It allows me to be patient with people and to really listen to the grief. Uh, there isn't a timeline where we get to say, okay, I'm done with the protest now. Can we like move on to stage two or something? We don't get to do that. That's not how human evolution and human awakening works. We can't do that. We have to be humble and we have to stay in our space of heart, mind, openness, and say, okay, what's next? How can I be of service? How can I be kind? How can I be gentle? What can I do in this moment that's skillful, right? Can I bring some equanimity perhaps? So I would encourage you to think of what's going on and see how you can bring these tools that you have, this awareness that you've cultivated, practiced, honed, worked on, and bring it to these things that you're seeing on TV and the suffering that we're seeing so greatly these days. One other thing I'd like to mention about the Dharma that can be helpful as a framework for understanding. We have this idea of not-self. And most of the time, and you probably know this from experience as, as me as a Dharma teacher, uh, I, I don't talk about not-self too often because it, it can be very complicated. There's parts of it that are quite advanced in practice, although some of it isn't, but there's it, it's, it's challenging to understand it. Um, so I, t I tend to teach all the things that are just easier for me to teach. And I have the sort of not self in the back of my head. Um, but in this moment, for what we're seeing, I have a, a real helpful, I think, framework for not self. And I think this is, this is something I wanted to say. One of the things that not self refers to is the fact that we're always growing and changing and moving, right? Our identity is not stagnant. There isn't some inner solid self in there, that it's always changing, always growing, always learning, always awakening, always growing in love, depth, connection, right? That's a part of not self, that there isn't this solid thing in there, right? That is such good news because that means we can change, right? We can change. We can change the way we behave. We can change and grow out of our ignorance, right? We can get out of the ignorance. Because the ignorance isn't solid. It's not like there's an ignorant self inside that's solid that can't be awakened, right? The self is constantly changing. So the fact that there isn't a solid self speaks to this beauty of development. We can become more comp compassionate, right? And turning this into, turning this back around to some of the things that have been going on online, we have this legacy in the Dharma of stories throughout history of people who were very uncaring, unkind, violent, murderous, who did terrible things, who then came to the Dharma and became servants of compassion. So we see in our history of this practice that we have people, some of the people in the stories who've done the most harm, the most damage, who are the most ignorant, become the greatest allies of compassion and hope and love. Because not self, right? Because the self is continues to change, continues to evolve. 
And that's very helpful. I was reading online, looking online today, and I saw this book uh, that was written by a uh, essentially white supremacist who had grown up in a white supremacist culture and was very much antagonistic and violent towards black people. And there was an epiphany somewhere. I didn't read the book, but it was online. I was talking about his epiphany and how he grew, changed, and then became this huge advocate for social justice. So here we see there was a self there, so to speak, at a time that was hateful, filled with the hindrances, greed, hatred, judgment, violence. And then there is another self now, right, in this process of selfing that is giving hope, giving love, and is acting for justice. So this not-self really is a hopeful concept in the Dharma because it allows us to change and grow. So we're not condemned to our past actions. We can make amends because it's not the same self. The self is always changing. The person who did harm is now a different person. And this new person can now be loving and kind. When I look back on things I've done in my past, in my youth, it's like sometimes I cringe. I'm like, oh my God, how could I have been so mean to that person? Like, what was I thinking? The person that I am now is just like, I can't even fathom like who I was then because it's, there's, it's not the same self, right? It's this process. It's this evolution. I am a different person. And because of that, I know I can be empathetic when I see people doing harm because I know they too, like myself, can in one frame of your life be harmful and then have an explosion of awareness and awakening and be free from that harm and suddenly do good for other people. So another aspect, we have these tools, not self allows us to act differently, love differently, connect deeper, even if in the past we've done things that have been harmful. We can dispel the ignorance, and that really is the nature of the path. Awakening is the learning. And in this time, with this Black Lives Matter, we have an opportunity to serve, to show up in the world with compassion and wakefulness. And we really have an opportunity to use our skills for our own interior process of understanding our role in this and coming up with ways to act. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about more of this uh, in depth and detail. But I just wanted to throw that out there as a start, give us some perspective, some things to think about. In conclusion, let me just say, please take care of yourself. Please take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't serve others. As a Dharma practitioner and as a therapist, this truth has been so hard for me. I often do not care, care for myself. Self-care is a big thing I've had to discipline myself around because I often uh, am in positions where my energy is directed outwards. But my big wish for you is that in your interest in serving others, which is wonderful, please remember that you can only give what's left over, right? You have to take care of yourself simultaneously. Make sure there's love directed inward as you direct the love outward. Because if you don't direct it inward, you're going to be overwhelmed, unhealthy, stressed. And at that point, you're not much of a service to others. So please, please take care of yourself and remember to send that love to yourself as well as to others. Don't, you're, don't leave yourself out of the equation. And I say that out loud to remind myself this <laughs> because it is the thing I forget so quickly uh, when I'm trying to be of service. So remember, fill up your heart with love and then let all that love out. 
So, I have brought us to the time. Let us do some meta. And I'll just say a few words at the end before we sign off. Let's return to the body with one long, slow, deep breath in through the nose and out through the mouth. It's been about 90 minutes. What is your body, your mood, and your mind like in this moment? Breathing in, breathing out. We come here every week to awaken our hearts and awaken our minds. We come here every week to take this inward journey but the highest aspiration, as always, is that everyone can share in the merits of our practice. And that we open our hearts and minds so we can be free in order to be of service for the freedom of others. That is the Dharma. Internal, external, always engaged. We engage with our heart and mind and then we engage with others with our opened heart and awakened mind. Internal, external, engaged Dharma. So as we come to close tonight, let's remind ourselves that our highest aspiration is for all beings to be free from suffering. May all beings be safe and secure. May all beings know true kindness true love, true happiness in this lifetime. And may each and every one of us in this room do all we can to bring that reality into being. Freedom from suffering. Freedom from suffering. Thank you everyone for your kind heart and your lovely attention. As always a privilege. Thank you so much for allowing me to play this role. It is always humbling. I hope some of that tonight was helpful, something to think about. And like I said last week, I don't have answers for all this stuff. My commitment is to share with you the Dharma and hope that together we can use the Dharma to bring the world into better alignment with love and compassion. Please listen to last week's talk if you haven't, um, and then next week we'll continue this journey about how we can engage in the world and bring these amazing teachings in the spirit of service. So thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll see you next week.